welcome everyone to the Training Edge podcast. Thank you for listening in. Um, it is basically holiday season. We're um, a couple weeks out from Christmas right now as we record this. Um, my family has our Christmas tree all set, and we got that um, up and running this past weekend. Um, and then now that both my wife and I work from home, uh, it's pretty much on 24 7. Um, my dog seems to dig it, so that's always nice. Um, but uh, we're trying to get up in the mountains lately. We're going to try and skate ski this weekend. So it's we're just trying to embrace the winter um, as it's coming. So hopefully, you know, even though this year is a little bit different and travel plans are going to be different, you are all able to get out and to enjoy the holidays and kind of take this breather, um, you know, either whether or not that's on a Zoom call or whatever you might be doing with your family for the holidays, but hopefully you enjoy them. So today's episode, today I have with me Adam Mills. Um, so Adam is an accomplished coach that coaches for Source Endurance. And Adam, please correct me if any of this is horribly wrong, but Adam has a master's in clinical exercise physiology and has been coaching for almost two decades. Um, Adam was previously a director for UCI Continental Team Elevate KHS and works with quite a few pro athletes across the disciplines. Um, and Adam, welcome and thank you for joining me. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. It's, it's an honor. Nice. Well, you're in San Diego, right? I am. Nice. Well, quite a bit different than here. Um, so I don't actually think to this point, I might be wrong. I've ridden much in San Diego. How is the riding and training there? I've heard good things, but I haven't been there. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a couple uh, analogies. So one, it's always fun to ride on the coast. It's, it's your basic beach town tour. Um, but if you want to get better, you got to go inland in the mountains, uh, and, and riding on the coast, especially on the weekends is a lot like, uh, riding on in Watopia on, uh, on Zwift. It's, uh, there's hundreds of people, most of them you don't know. Uh, and, and someone always wants to draft you and somebody always wants to race you. Oh, right. Oh man, that's that's not exactly where I was expecting you to go. I thought you were going to say it's something like a bike path and you're dodging people left and right, but that's a, that's an interesting phenomenon. Is there are there just that many people on the path and it becomes kind of a weirdly competitive environment? Uh, yeah, just the the one hundred and one or coastal highway or whatever you want to call it. It it, it yeah. does get that way. I think someone told me and I I, I haven't ever got verification, but on a week over the weekend, there's over ten thousand bicycles that pass by it was like the trek store in in solana beach wow that's crazy that that is nuts yeah we do not have that here um maybe like highway 36 might be the closest but no way is it close to that that's nuts man um i imagine you have all ability levels and everything within that ten thousand people so it's it can be quite hectic at times i'm sure oh and all the bikes like incumbents (laughs) to like unicycles sweet it's it's amazing sweet (laughs) oh man um well so for everyone we have another round table in store so adam has joined me um to go back and forth with questions and just general brainstorm with each other on how we approach making our athletes better 
Um, my goal is to always kind of learn from these conversations, um, you know, hearing how a different coach approaches a, a problem or a puzzle is, you know, really intriguing because it can be very different than how you would do it. Um, and you can pull little, you know, nuggets from how that coach does it and, and make yourself better. So that's kind of the goal here. Um, so let's get started. Adam, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, obviously the, uh, pandemic is very much on the mind for most people. So um, my first question is what, in your experience, did athletes expect from uh, from the pandemic as far as their own process? Uh, and then what actually happened? Um, so how do those two expectations versus reality vary? Yeah. Ooh. Um... I guess what I saw with my athletes was a continued kind of like revolving door of trying to uh, just wait until everything was back to normal. Um, that's what they wanted. And I think what I had to try and, and help them with was the concept of what happens if that doesn't take place or if the revolving door is longer or has more rotations than they think. Um, and that was something I was definitely challenging as a coach to, to, um, as each one of their races was canceled, um, cause it would go almost in stages, right? Like where it would be first race was canceled. Uh, maybe that was, I'm just spitballing here, but like the early season, um, criteriums, early season road races were canceled. And then they went into more and more and more down the line. Um, it was like trying to preemptively get them ready for the disappointment of that taking place um and that was yeah that was always a tricky thing to kind of like predict that and try and get them mentally ready for that um so i guess that's what my athletes kind of saw and wanted and kind of expected um as far as kind of like what um i guess what they expected during as far as training goes they expected um, to still be achieving results. So they definitely wanted some sort of outcome to take place. Um, so then it was kind of stepping back and figuring out how to get them there or how, how to still give them that outcome or that achievement without a result sheet. Um, and that was also really interesting too because uh, they wanted that result sheet. And then when that didn't take place, um, trying to say okay let's make a goal of this and this and this and so just becoming more creative and and making something that they didn't expect to be invigorating be uh something that they push themselves for um and that just like totally depended on the athlete but that's i think kind of the two varying scenarios of what the athletes uh kind of wanted to take place and then what ended up taking place as we went um, but I, you know, we chatted a little bit about this before I hit record, but it's been fascinating and I, I'll forever look back at this period and be like, ah, well, this is like, if you really want to make gains, this is, this is a possibility, but essentially when the races went away or those events went away, um, being able to focus so like solely on something and push that athlete so much farther than I think either of us expected them to be able to go, um, just because, uh, 
yeah, I mean, like they don't have those races getting in the way. They don't need to be tapering. They don't need to be um, going through a very specific build. They can do kind of like a block periodization just for something. And that was um, just amazing to see. And I think across the board, all of my athletes saw gains that I think had been kind of settled for race goals in the past. Um, so that was amazing. But yeah, I would say those are the two varying things. I'm assuming I answered your question correctly. Right. There's no, well, there's no incorrect answer. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. What, like, so what did you, I guess, what did you see like co- going into it and then coming out the other side? What did, what happened with you, with your athletes? Well, to, to add to your point of just being honest and telling them what's expected. So when, when all the states, when the, when the dominoes started tipping and the lockdowns happened and everybody closed up shop for everything, um, whether they were, at the mountain bike world cup where they did the short track and didn't get to do the XC race the next day, um, all the way to like what a bunch of riders made the flight to the USA crits event that weekend. And then we're stuck there, um, to the people that were, you know, doing the, the previously named dirty Kansas event, um, just being honest and letting them know like this, this, probably isn't going to happen this year but it's not the end of the world and to you know be honest and and tell them what what to expect and at the time i i was anticipating that uh we would have a a much different response and that everything would be back on the table come like late summer into into fall but um so my optimism was obviously incorrect <laughs> at that, but I think, uh, and then again, to, to reinforce your notion that when you have these athletes that, um, like I, I had an athlete or I have an athlete that is, uh, was on an airplane for 20 hours a week with his work before. Wow. And, and then wow. he wasn't on a plane at all this year. He got, he's, he still is pretty darn fast. I think had they had a master's national championship, I would have, I would have said he would have came home with a, with a medal. Um, just because when you're not parked on an airplane for 20 hours in a week, you get a lot of extra, extra ride time in apparently. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then, and then a bunch of people that were, you know, had their offices shut down, were all able to, to train. And, and if you're not commuting 45 minutes each way every day, I think that's the average now in, in North America, then all of a sudden you have a bunch more time to be with the family and, and to ride. So, um, it is a, it, it was a mixed bag, but yeah, I think just being honest with everyone and, and telling them what to expect and also telling them the target's going to move. It's, it's, uh, like I remember back when we were all scared of doorknobs and, yeah. um, and that's the way science works, you know, for, for, uh, uh like in 2006, we had nine planets and now we have eight. So science changes, it evolves, and we just have to kind of go with the flow and, and do our best. Looking back, do you, like, if you had to do it again, would you approach the, uh, I guess, lo- basically like the lockdown and, and just the, the COVID trans- transition as a coach differently? Would you change what you did? There might have been a few decisions that I made differently but i i want to say that um 
so we have with Source Endurance, we have a every weekly, every Monday afternoon, we have a meeting with all the coaches all on video chat. And so nice. we were all on those calls, like throwing ideas back and forth. So um, I, I like to say I'm, I'm really good at having bad ideas. I have, <laughs> I have probably 100 ideas in a month and maybe one of them is good. But luckily, the other coaches that I work with, they're they're also awesome at saying like, no, it's a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> and so they kind of, we kind of all keep each other grounded and in the process, it helps us all to make, I guess, good, the, the best decisions possible for, for the, what we know. And yeah. so yeah. hindsight's always twenty twenty, and we can always go back and say like, obviously a dirty Kansas is not going to reschedule into September because for that event to work, they need the dorms. And when the dorms are closed or they have kids in them, college kids, and that's never going to happen. Right. Cause that was the original rescheduled date. And, but we didn't know that until they came back like in July or whatever and canceled the whole event. But, uh, and then it all makes sense. So if you have that information in hindsight, you can obviously, make some different choices but i can also like win the lottery if i know what those numbers are going to be too so yeah that's fair yeah i mean i i agree with you if like for example had i known that um you know dirty kanza or you know unbound uh was going to get canceled then that would have changed how quickly i would have jumped into uh creating different objectives or giving advice or helping athletes come up with new goals um i would have looking back, I think that's the main thing I would have jumped on faster, um, rather than just directing them to their next goal, trying to provide different fillers to put in place. Um, cause that's essentially like what I've learned looking ahead for this next year is like, well, Hey, what are the likelihood of races early season taking place? So then let's add in these markers. So we are continuing to make the best of this time. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing, but you're right with, it would have been a lot simpler had we known what would have been there and what not. So, yeah. Well, I, and I think all the, all the promoters and, and everyone, everyone was in the whole world or whatever, if you're going to a concert or, you know, just want to go out to eat dinner or whatever, everyone was, has this innate desire to go back to the way life was. And, and so it, Everyone wants to do it, but it doesn't happen that way. So it's not for lack of want. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I'm curious, going from, I did have a couple racers that were very, very race oriented. Like training was a means to get to that event um, entirely. Um, and I think this year definitely shook them big time. And I think they were one of the people that really had to change how they think of their training and how they think of their bike. Um, so I'm curious if you had any athletes that like really had to learn something different than, um, than a bike race to be happy with training and with riding. Absolutely. I think every, every sport has what, what I call gamers. Um, you know, who was, if you ever watched the ESPN 30 for 30, like Bo Jackson was the first yeah. one, I think. Man, yeah. he did yeah. not like to practice. <laughs> he he would have rather just play games instead of practice, right? Um, Allen Iverson is probably the one of the most well-known NBA gamers, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and we have and we had those with as far as clients and and some of them are hard to hard to motivate some of them are still hard to motivate some of them embraced uh embraced the chaos as an opportunity um you know richie port had an article in bella news talking about how the lockdown was great for him right mm-hmm. so um but but having to show them you know we we i, I had a number of clients where i had to pull up all their data and do the screen share and say like we know that each season builds in a stair-step manner we also know that season to season can have the same stair-step effect Um, and we know physiologically what what it takes to make those stair-step happens happen right and and we don't need to do races races might be mentally easier for some people and for some people they don't really care um they just want to get the work done and, and improve but but we know what has to happen and and this opportunity has presented itself to have a year of, of training and not have to have all the stress of travel or all the risk of injury because um, you watch like you watch some of those races on usa crits and, and you're like there's no way everyone's walking out of that crash um and having to risk that injury for for incremental improvement, we can do that without those those dangers. Um, granted, some athletes they love that danger, and <laughs> yes, they do. That's the that's the you know the runner's high they have when the race is over, and and I commend that as well. So uh, it's been a challenge, um, but in in a challenging year, it's just I want to say it's par for the course. But but as you and I were talking before it. it think every professional coach out there has pushed us all to get better at what we do yeah so you mentioned um designing that like showing them the stair step concept and and how how you craft that so i'm curious how you crafted that first and then also how much do you do you end up relying on data to kind of motivate more during this time without results so I use uh, the WKO5 software, um, and, and there's some charts that I've created and some that I've watched uh, Tim Kusick's uh, webinars and yep. said, "Oh, I can I can build that." And then some that I've I've had to have help from, but we have a number of different ways to to show the data. And, and a lot of times, the athletes they don't want to see the drilled down version; they want to see like, "Oh, and this month you did." Right. You know, right. 20 minutes of VO2 work a week through racing. So if you want that same improvement, you have to have the same thing, right? Um, and then over years and then over, or through seasons and then through years. And I, I think the years thing is, that's easiest when you have uh, like a retired, uh, retired professional who can tell the story about how for a year or two, they didn't really see a lot of drop off and then just the bottom falls out and they're just not fast anymore. And that just, you know, um, that's like another, uh, like reality that a exiting elite professional athlete has to deal with if they don't have enough, you know, tough realities already. Um, so just showing them all that and and how that worked. Um, and, and sometimes that helps and sometimes you have to lean on those, that data, and show them, but then also you have to tell them too. I like tell tell them that I try and tell them all the truth. Like, look, this is what has to happen, 
and there are athletes doing it. And in 2021, whenever that first event is, when you tow the line, you're probably going to see some athletes that have been really good in the past that haven't done this homework. And, yep. and they're not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested to see also um, when people tow the line again at kind of like on the larger stage, how long it takes some of those people to get used to that. And athletes across the board, I think, are going to find that, like, hey, they need to learn how to ride in the peloton again, or they need to learn how to execute race tactic tactics again. And some might find that that comes back immediately, but I am intrigued to see um, what that delay looks like um, this time around. Absolutely. Uh, I make it a point, if I race locally, to to never do the first race of the year. Um, <laughs> yep. I feel like people forget how hard the ground is. Um, they've been watching too much, too much bike racing videos and TV and maybe been on the, the virtual trainers a little bit too much. And lo and behold, like that concrete is still concrete yep. and it still hurts a lot. Uh, so that's why I try and miss the first one, but that's, that's just me. Some, some people love lining up for that first race of the year because they are that pumped and excited. Yeah, and I the do nerves. not blame them at all. I actually kind of envy that that ability to, to do that. Oh, totally. Yeah, I never had that either, though. It was always something that was just to get through almost for me. Uh, yeah. Cool. I mean, so I guess with like your top level guys, so more on the on the pro side, um, what are... Are, what's your approach, I guess, with them so far? I know there's a lot kind of like up in the air. Um, a lot of my guys, I'm still kind of targeting that later portion of the year um, so that they kind of have a little bit more of a percentage of that being a true target. But I'm curious kind of like what your approach is then for those guys or gals. So for for those athletes, it's if an athlete's going to go overseas, that's, that's right. different. I mean, yeah. I fully expect the Asian races to happen in February, March. Um, you know, I've, I've got a client in Taiwan right now and to the end, to the fact that they find you thousands of dollars if you break quarantine. So that's, mm -hmm. they're serious about it there and, and they're going to be able to reap that benefit as far as racing and sports go sooner than we are. Um, so it all depends on whatever their, their schedules are. I think the late season stuff, is is definitely a safe bet <laughs> i say definitely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely maybe a safe bet um but it's also uh it's also more difficult because you have to keep an athlete or do your do our part to best keep an athlete motivated that long right um so again it's finding whatever buttons you have they have to be they have to be pushed and push them you know, whether that's Strava or Zwift or RGT racing or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, but it's not easy and, and it's, it's different for everyone. Yep. Yeah. The, the RGT side has been interesting and the Zwift racing has been interesting. It's I've found that I have a particular, um, you know, type of athlete that enjoys that side and is kind of able to, I guess, separate it from, normal quote-unquote bike racing um and then i have others that just can't wrap their head around the fact that it's not the same as bike racing and maybe they're not doing as well as they would normally do um uh 
so yeah, that's a, that's been an interesting thing for me to juggle, um, lately. Well, that's a whole different, it's a whole different skill set. It's, yeah. Yeah. uh, you know, in, in a cycling race, you get benefit from positioning and, uh, risk and reward of, of, of the positioning. Right. And none of that exists in, in virtual racing. Yeah. It was, I had an athlete, uh, a couple of days ago that kind of had this, you know, revolution within how they approached, uh, training and bike racing all from doing basically one online race. And, um, basically it reminded them that, you know, yes, we put all of our time and energy into this power meter and yes, we focus very intensely on making ourselves stronger and, and, you know, dying by the workout. Uh, but at the same time, you know, speed is what is the ultimate goal and that is what we're pursuing and that's what is real out of it. So they, it almost refreshed them, which was, is really funny for me to, to see that. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. This is a great outcome of you doing this, uh, erase, but yeah, it was, it was not where I expected him to go, but it was cool to see. Wow. That's, that is a, an interesting perspective. So yeah, it's like everyone gets there in their own way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it definitely will make us all of this, I guess with COVID included is going to make us hungry, um, which my athletes definitely are right now, um, to get back to a bike race, whatever that might end up being. Um, hopefully it's something fairly soon. All right. Let's good question, by the way. Um, let's dive into my first one. Um, so something I've been thinking about lately, uh, with starting with new athletes is the concept of being like a hard court coach or like a harsh court coach that basically, you know, is on the line of do your work, do it well, um, and more of a critic. And then, um, the flip side of that being more of the supportive coach. And usually in consultations, I, um, you know, ask what they tend to favor or what they're looking for. Um, and they usually go one side or the other, but, and I tend to gravitate somewhere in the middle, but I was curious on your side, uh, when do you decide to take one stance or the other? So like, when do you, um, and what do you most commonly trend towards naturally? So that is, that is a great question. I remember my high school sporting days where <clears throat> If you've ever watched Beavis and Butthead for those younger yeah, folks yeah, that don't yeah, even yeah. know, you had, you know, just the, the gym teacher who just screamed at you all the time. And yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's what a lot of my coaches were, but the ones that really made me want to try were the ones that, that were more visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted you to think about what you were doing as you were doing it, obviously. And that's, that's a different coaching process. And that's what worked for me, um, for, for the athletes that I work with, we, we always get this, uh, it's a pretty detailed athlete intake questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep trying to reduce the number of questions on it. <laughs> and every time I do, I ended up with three more questions on the, nice. <laughs> on the questionnaire. Cause that's just not working. <laughs> uh, maybe someone else can look at it, but, uh, uh, so we end up with this set of, this set of Initially, you have a set of goals, 
and then um, when that time frame elapses then you have outcomes you're measuring um, and to accomplish those goals to get a positive outcome there's there's intermediate goals and then the process or the ramp or whatever you want to call it and as long as you can stay in that kind of lane-ish. Um, so there's like the easy line, and then there's the line that you actually take, and that is never the same. But if you if the if the the path drifts too far off that line, then you have to have a little bit more conversation and talk a little bit more about what what's happening and the direction that the athlete's headed relative to their goals, relative to their, to their desired outcome as they try and accomplish those goals. And, and then it's uh, kind of reading the athlete and trying to hopefully have a good enough relationship, but figuring out what's going to make them respond the most. So like, I do have athletes that are like, look, you have to do it or, or you may not have a contract next year. And that's as simple as, as it gets. Um, and then you have others that, that require totally different, you know, totally different take. Um, and then you have others that are like, hey, you need to ride harder or this, this effort, this whole interval set isn't worth your time. Um, and that's just a different, a different take on it. And then, and then it just, just varies a little bit from athlete to athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I've found the athletes fascinating that are, along the lines of, um, disc or like discouragement or, um, constructive criticism can oftentimes be, uh, very discouraging to them. Um, so you have to be really like careful and, and almost not say anything to them and just kind of like craft their training in that way. I've always been really challenged by those athletes cause you can't be as blunt. Um, yeah, I would say those are one of the more challenging ones. Right. The, uh, what the passive aggressive type. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. That in the, the, the lately, lately I've been dealing with a lot of, uh, which is interesting because it always seems to come at, um, around the same time, but the, I've been dealing with a lot of athletes that want to almost still be 100% hands-on with their training or still want to be in the driver's seat, um, controlling entirely. Um, and those are, you know, especially for me because my personality is fairly, I would say, passive and, and kind of chill. Um, so those are difficult because that's when I have to, like, almost double myself and, and really put the foot down. Um, which is, yeah, so it, it's good. It, it challenges me in different ways. Do you? So how about you? Do you have uh, something that challenges you more than others? Uh, to your comment of an athlete who likes to – drive the the ship themselves or uh so i think just the the athlete knowledge and the amount of content out there an athlete can read i, I feel like this this buy-in for a rest period and the periodization models isn't as necessary to talk someone into it but i, I have and it hasn't happened to me in a while but i remember having athletes well, i guess it's been a little while ago but um, that just didn't want to ever take a rest. Yeah. Because to them, rest equals like now you're completely out of shape and you're no longer there anymore. Right. Um, and in reality, the rest is the, <laughs> as, as we all know, like the rest is the most important aspect of the entire training cycle. Um, and some, 
sometimes I've just had to had to crack a couple athletes. Just okay, you want to keep riding? We're gonna keep riding. Uh, and it's a little passive aggressive, but it, there's also, oh, yeah. I, I kind of make it into a learning process for, for them and for me. The, the plus side of that is if you have an athlete that, that has their own limitations for time, but it also means they need like a six week build, which is rare, but right. it is, yeah. then, then they need a six week build. And until they, uh, this did happen a couple of years ago. And until I did say, well, I'm just going to have to just keep going until this athlete cracks. I didn't understand that when he was telling me, uh, I can keep going. He was really serious. Hmm. And so we all learned something. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, I guess in that same path, I've recently, um, an athlete starting up that, uh, they had just kind of like taken a very period off um they were used to only going hard whenever they got on their bike they only went hard it was pretty classic um and then when i started with them i tried to touch up on kind of like that lower um efficiency uh within just you know aerobic zones and uh they you know had the classic reaction of this is way too easy like how can i get fast when i'm just going easy um so i did actually give them a week where i was like this is a, a glimpse and it was great because it aligned with testing that I needed them to do. Um, but I was like, this is a glimpse of what hard training looks like and why we need you to be doing kind of like that lower foundation first um, to prepare you for this. And that did kind of open their eyes a little bit. And they did come to the end of the week being like, oh, that was hard. Um, and then we were able to kind of like wrap our heads around it and <laughs> proceed. Um, but yeah, it is funny that we need to do that sometimes. <laughs> My, my favorite line that I like to tell new clients is something of the effect of, don't worry, when it's time to train hard, there will be no doubt in your mind yeah. that you're training hard. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I want it now, though. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The patience thing is hard. Um, so another add-on of my, to my question was, um, and I... I think everyone inevitably does this sometimes, but I was curious on how you personally as a coach step back and, and reassess. But, um, so does your mood, like how your mood, how your day is going, um, how your life is going at the time, does that affect which one of these stances you take to your athlete or, and, and then how do you keep that from affecting those stances? So the stance of like the hard ass or the, um, supportive coach. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it never does. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, to some, to some degree, it always does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing this long enough where I'd like to say that I'm professional enough to not let it affect me. Um, I've also had uh, enough professional input from fellow coaches and from friends that I've that I've coached that have just kept me grounded and, you know, called me out when I'm, when I'm being that guy. Um, so to some degree, I, and I, and I always, I never, I don't usually appreciate it in the moment, but, but I think it's an important part of, of like professional development and just yeah. being able to set your own feelings aside and understand like, this isn't, this isn't for me. It's a hundred percent for, this person and ultimately 
as a coach, I work for the client. They right. don't, they don't work for me. So if I'm not doing, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job for them. So like stepping back and kind of like reminding what you're, what you're doing this for basically. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that that helps too. Um, I never thought I would think this, but, or say this, but, uh, taking a couple breaths and just like honing in on the, the circumstance and what the, you know, what that athlete, their objectives are, um, helps totally remove myself. Um, and that's been a good one. And then one, I, something I learned a long time ago was, um, a coach when I was first getting started told me like, no one cares what your results were on the bike. Like stop telling people what your results were as a bike racer. Like just go about how to best make them their best athlete away from yourself. And then that'll be like the best way of making them into their own athlete. So I like that. And that, that helped me kind of remove myself from the equation. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of my pet peeves when I click on a, a bio of a, of a coach. And the first thing they say is something like, I raced for 14 years on whatever team where I placed top three and, you know, they, they use the word, like they use the word I three times in the first sentence. I'm just, just over it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, (laughs) Agreed. And, and to that end, if, if you might, one of my other thoughts are goals or things I strive for is if I ever tell a story about one of my experiences racing, it, it better directly impact what we're talking about with mm-hmm. that client. Otherwise, because they don't want to hear it. They yeah. don't want to hear, oh, once upon a time in whenever, at wherever land, I place top five in this race you've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. I tried, I, I will say, I think I use circumstances that I went through in a way of trying to connect with them, but it's usually mistakes. Like, it's usually something I did really poorly or like, you know, uh, bonding with somebody because they fell over when they were trying to learn how to ride with clip-ins the first time. It's like, yeah, I did that too. Like that kind of a bond. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely try and not bring up any sort of, I guess, achievements that I think I've had. Um, cause it's, yeah, it's really not going to benefit them in the long run. The, the thing with cycling though, is that I feel like people really want, they want to know that their coaches you know, yeah. badass. I've been watching Cobra Kai, so that that uh, that comes to mind. But um, and to that extent, like I won a Masters cross race in Southern California out of a group of five, and I was the fifth best person there. I just happened to like fumble my way to the front at the right time, and and I won because of it. And it was almost by accident. I didn't really know what was going on at the time, but. I had people wanting me to work with them after that. And, and I'm thinking I'm a, I have a master's degree in exercise physiology, but yet I want a local cross race. And that's the and thing. That's, yeah. And that's your turn on <laughs> for it. Like I don't, yeah. I've never understood that. Yeah. I struggled with that too. I had an athlete, I think about a month ago that when I had the consultation call, I told him about my coaching background and kind of like a brief who I am but I didn't really tell them anything as far as what I've done on a bike. And then I guess a, a month into coaching, I guess they, they looked me up and 
at least found out that I have done a bike race and that like blew their mind and they were so more, much more confident, um, in me. So I, I just find that really interesting. Um, I definitely understand, I guess, like if you hire somebody, you want them to have, I guess, done a certain level, but at the same time, like I would think that ex- coaching experience on that level also equals that. Um, so yeah, I've struggled with that one. I haven't figured that one out yet <laughs> at all. Yeah, me either. If you do figure it out, let me know. <laughs> well, I think it might be a little while. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, that's that's all I had for that one. That was good. Um, so, what's your number two? Uh, so, with with the pandemic and the lack of anything in real life organized, uh, how have you managed? new modalities whether it's like at home crossfit or uh running or zwift rgt ruby any of those um along with like maybe integrating something like strava to to help the athlete stay motivated and progress yeah um i think we did all of the above it was like a little bit of everything just to try and uh motivate everyone i think um our general pool tends to be gravel racers that just kind of tends to be our biggest uh, percentage of athletes right now um so for those athletes it was literally like creating race courses for them and and we're lucky that a a lot of our percentage is um either in you know california or here um colorado so it was fairly simple for us to create routes for them like we're here in boulder it was pretty easy to create um, a route that we've done here. And then we, we actually like created Strava leaderboards, created a challenge, gave away prizes, um, as a way of at least giving them basically a time trial to do on dirt. Um, and we kind of encouraged them to go do it by themselves or with a small group and, uh, post their time and make kind of like a, a community thing of it. Um, so I would say that was like a big one on, once you know the summer was really hitting and and we realized that a lot of those big gravel races weren't going to be taking place but people were still really g'd to ride good roads um where it got really tricky for me was uh athletes in other parts of the world where maybe their training isn't or their training ground isn't so great so like indianapolis and uh like kansas and just other places where uh they were just still kind of just doing the same boxes that they've been doing the whole time so then how to make them intrigued um and really get into it and find a new community to kind of feel competitive with uh and that was kind of like yeah we tried swift racing um and other e-racing and also just trying to some of them i had them create their own strava segments like if they lived in a town that really didn't have strava segments um and then try and better their times that way um and then kind of like what we were talking about earlier with metric points and stuff like that um and then for the roadies like the kind of like the upper end guys like my pro guys they they were great like they that was almost a piece of cake to um motivate i guess at least for the guys that i had um and gals they basically i was able to um do very high detailed specificity training and have them target you know an exact strava kom that we built or that was something that they really wanted to get um and at least here in boulder we saw a lot of really big koms drop 
um, or get like somebody took them when they've been sitting uh, for forever um, since like U.S. Pro Challenge. Um, so that was pretty cool to see where you have these people that really are dedicated towards that end goal and that becomes their goal. And then all like, then that totally shifts everything. Um, so that was really cool. Um, let's see what else I think like we, at least at fast cat, like did a pretty good job, I think creating a community and kind of creating, um, ways of trying to challenge everyone as athletes. Um, and I think a lot of that ended up being through Strava, um, and different distance goals as well. Um, and then we started getting into like, all right, sharing, um, we would go do a backpacking or bikepacking trip, sorry. And then, um, also do mountain biking with each other and kind of like encourage riders and our athletes to try different things. Um, so whether or not that's like going through a rock garden or going off a jump or whatever it might be, um, to challenge them, that was kind of what we did by showing them, I guess um that it can be fun and that seemed to help a lot too where all of a sudden we're like oh yeah we went down road that after you guys did and it was great um but it definitely got a lot more challenging the farther removed those athletes were from a community i think that's what i found to be really tough for athletes that normally travel quite a bit to find those specific races that they want to do yeah, the the community thing is definitely a we'll say it's a uh, not a unifier, but a uh, uh, like necessary uh, component of just feeling like you're not on an island. Um, I think a lot of people all they they all found that they were without that personal interaction that they they loved the part of the cycling they truly loved wasn't wasn't there anymore um and, and to find new outlets for it uh i think it's also and we, and we did a lot of the same stuff with trying to do a little of this and a little of that to get everybody engaged and and also figuring out like what does each individual athlete have have a uh what are they willing to do to to be engaged with others and, and you know some people picked up the virtual racing and just went with it and they love it and they still do. And now that's probably just going to be a permanent part of their training and others did it for a little while. We're just like, eh, I never really played any video games. And so this doesn't really interest me. And that's totally fine too. Um, like you were saying, you, you had athletes like try gravel and do mountain biking in different modalities. And I think that's, that's interesting because Part of me also think that's where uh, this this professional cycling teams are headed as well, um, as the road racing kind of wanes from its dominance in North America, and and I would say it's it's moving towards gravel racing, but I don't I don't really have reasons to believe that the racing aspect, uh, as far as like gathering 150 athletes in one. Uh, race with teams that may not be happening anytime soon as far as just as from a sporting nature but I think that professional teams might be going that way where you just have have like a bike racer so does this does this athlete can they do well in mountain biking and in road racing and criteriums and on gravel and can they ride Zwift well and and I think 
um, watching that evolution can be really interesting as well. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm honestly, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to that. Like, I hope that happens. Um, road racing in general for such a long period of time was just this specialty, uh, elitist thing that you needed to be solely focused on that. And it's like that, uh, European mindset of like, you've got to do this 100%. Um, and it'll be cool and refreshing to see people good at all the above, um, doing cross, doing mountain biking, doing adventure style stuff, like doing everything and, and seeing it all and, and being invigorated by it. And I think that's one of the things that I've really been enjoying is watching this new wave of people just being stoked to just ride and do cool things and not necessarily need it to be this super, you know, fine edge elite pursuit. Um, it can be a little bit more inclusive and I think that could be really healthy, but yeah, I agree with you that that'll be a fun thing to see. Do you have anything else on that, on that question? Uh, I don't have, I, I do think it'll show us just who's the best athlete. Yeah. Uh, I know, well, we're going to have riders starting to cross over more and <clears throat> an athlete like a Pete Stetna. I remember when Pete came into gravel and the initial, the initial response from a bunch of, of my circle of road riders were, were somebody to the effect of, well, how's Pete going to handle the rough stuff and the fast downhills on gravel and all, and all, and on and on and on. I said, you guys know Pete came from a professional mountain biking background, right? Yeah. Like he's going to be fine. <laughs> and, and that was just, it just blew their mind because they only know of Pete Stetna as a world tour road rider. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. To that end, I'm, I'm, I don't, I have no idea what a rider like Travis McCabe is going to have on the, on the docket for, something like 2021 but but he'd be a pick that i would have to be like the best athlete i think travis has probably been the best athlete in cycling for years oh yeah 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 and and this would be like prime for him because i know travis rides off-road i don't i don't i've never ridden with him or seen how good he is but he's good at everything else i see no reason why he wouldn't be awesome off you know on knobby tires yeah i think he would be just fine <laughs> yeah i'll have to ask him that yeah. i mean i who knows we have i'm really i guess that's another thing i'd like to pick your brain on is um progression of riders in the united states like what do you think the outlets of i guess like progression to the world tour for u.s riders are going to be or are at currently right now like what is the pathway that that I believe has taken a pretty big hit yeah. with the yeah. pandemic and with the with with the you know decline of USA cycling this year and not saying they're declining but when you look at their like publicly accessible records where it shows like revenues and and whatever and those revenues aren't happening right now um, it's gonna they're they're gonna be in for a tough year or two coming up and. And the first thing that gets cut is anything that's not paying bills, right? And, um, you know, my worry is that the next generation of, of young riders is going to suffer. And to that end, like, do we even worry a ton about, about the Olympic movement? Because that's truly what the whole national team is a, 
is an outlet for us to find Olympic Olympic level athletes for from the U.S. Right, and yeah. um, I've I've actually would like to to do something looking at like what's best for young riders and uh, is a young rider now more likely to get one of the what 18 contracts on a team like rally 18 roster spots or are they more likely to get into a a varsity uh program in collegiate where they get tuition paid for and they get to race their bike at a high level, and they get a college education out of it. Um, and and you look at collegiate athletics in general is already a pretty good pipeline for professionals, for professional careers. And and I I guess I would like to see that being more mainstream than than you have your U twenty three riders. You have a handful of clubs that have pipelines into the national team which is ultimately the pipeline for the Olympic teams and the world tour teams. And then everybody else is on this different pathway. Um, and, and if you claw and scratch and have amazing performances, maybe you get to that point. Uh, but for the most part, they never have a chance because they're never seen by the right people and have the right contacts. But, um, and if you shift those athletes and say, well, let's look at getting you a college education. Um, and again, as I said before, I am really good at having bad ideas, so this could all be a bad idea. Um, and I, I would just like to see that happen. Um, I don't have any details in my head worked out other than I feel like it'd be a really good way to make a better life and a better experience for a lot of young athletes. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I went through the collegiate system, and I I think it's brilliant. Um, and, you know, either way, you come out the other side and – saw a lot of athletes that went through the collegiate system and, and didn't become the pro athlete that they wanted to be, but, you know, came out with a degree and, and pursued other avenues. And that's very empowering in and itself to have somewhere else to go, which a lot of pros really struggle with. Uh, so I could see collegiate being a huge means. And it has the only like problem with collegiate is it, it they kind of as system like the teams kind of need to make it what it is which is tough because not all schools and a lot of the large um you know like state schools don't put that funding into um collegiate programs or at least for cycling so it's it's hard because you have a lot of club coaches that i've seen that are super passionate and put their whole life into their program but it's a super tall order to make that into something progressive and and really make something of it um i give them a ton of credit those coaches that do that absolutely and and the collegiate racing as you said in your own experiences too is is so much fun and and it it should be and, and was should be everyone part of everyone's experience in in cycling and it definitely was mine even though i was uh not on a uh high dog or highly supported uh, varsity team or anything. We we still made the most of what we had, and and it was a lot of fun and made some good friends. So I would love to see that continue to, to evolve. Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to the University of Kansas. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I think we, I think Marion raced in that same conference. I think. 
I don't remember. Uh, that's KU is the North Central. Okay. NCC, and okay. with a lot of C's. Okay. <laughs> Too far over. <laughs> yeah, that's that one. Gotcha. Um, do you? I don't really know anything about it, and I need to probably look more into it. So, with larger um, governing bodies, kind of like Australian Institute of Sport. Um, do you know how they kind of operate and how they differ? I imagine they differ quite a bit from USAC, but do you know any, any details on that? I, I unfortunately do not. Hmm. Um, the optimist in me says they run significantly better than USA Cycling, but <laughs> if you compare USA Cycling and everyone's preconceived notions of it to like the Olympic movement in general, it's, it's about, it's all seems like it's about the same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where everyone wants to do this, these great things for everybody. And then, you know, they kind of, there's a, there's, there's like opportunity to get lost along the way. And, um, you know, what starts out as being this like altruistic, great thing has, you know, a, you know, maybe a dark side or a downside to it. And I think every, every sport and athletic program is like that. The NCAA is going through a whole thing right now. And, who knows where that's going to be in five years. Yeah. So um, back when the NCAA formed, it was the best thing ever for every student athlete or, or conceived that way or, or presumed to be that way, I guess. Presented that way, yeah. Um, how much do you look at other sports for inspiration and or just like, uh, just yeah, inspiration, I guess? Uh, so I, I, probably basketball is my favorite sport all things i played a bunch of basketball when i was younger i still enjoy watching collegiate basketball i, I like the nba a lot um, i don't really know the players that well but i i watch sports center and, and can appreciate a, a difficult shot um, i live in san diego which is close enough to la now so yeah, yeah. i'm a I've, I've always been a kobe bryant fan nice. i always will be um nice. i I loved how the Lakers won this year. I think it was something that had to happen. Yeah. Um, given everything that that went down this year, so uh, so I follow that sport. I follow uh, a good amount of professional cycling. I'd be lying to you if I told you I follow all of it. Um, you know, I follow some some football. Not a lot of NFL football anymore you know, a little bit of everything and, and, uh, just have an appreciation for, for a lot of sports. Do you look to any other coaches for like how they coach their athletes within other sports? Uh, so me being a Kansas fan, um, Bill Self is, is a coaching idol of sorts for me. Cause one, you always, you always have to go with a winner. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and two, uh, I remember the, so Lawrence, Kansas has kind of had a history of like high level cycling events or Lawrence, Kansas city area, starting with like cross nationals in 2000. Um, and then on to like, on to cyclocross nationals and they had collegiate nationals, um, in Lawrence for a couple of years. And, and then that kind of led into this event called the tour of Lawrence, um, which I did, I raced the first one and a couple years later when I did the race, 
I remember looking over and there's Bill Self watching the bike race and and it just blew my mind. Like here's a here's like one of the possibly the best collegiate basketball coach in history is at this, you know, regional bike race That's called cool. Tour of Lawrence. And it just happened he was in town that weekend and wanted to come watch some people ride bikes fast. And cool. He was impressed by it and he and I talked to him and he told me that. And so that was that was really cool to see. That's my own like personal experience, but that will always make me a Bill Self fan forever. Nice. Yeah, I need to that's that's a cool story. I need to get into I think reading more um just from varying sport coaches. because um, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. We get kind of stuck in our rut of um doing the same things over again or reading other cycling coaches and what they have to say. Um so yeah, I think like stepping away from that uh, it would be good. I've been I've been trying to get a uh, team coach on here, so more of like a ball sport coach, um, just because I think that how they would have to think and operate is just so different to how we operate as individual, more or less one-on-one athlete coach scenarios. Right. Absolutely. It's, but the process is still very similar. Right. Yep. In a lot of yep. ways too. So yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. I I'd love to pick the brain of a high level ball sports coach. Yeah, someday maybe maybe they'll tune into this and then they'll throw something at me. It'd be great. Okay, well everyone have a great week. Enjoy it. Um, and I will this one. I'm you know as I've done with the last couple ones, we'll break this up into two part because. You know, most people don't want to listen to a two-hour episode, so that's fine by me. Um, so we'll split it up, and we'll have this out in a couple of weeks. Um, but till this comes out, and till next time, have a great week. Have some awesome holidays, and uh, keep finding your edge. Thanks, everyone. Bye.